fuck off. It was, we kind of covered that when we were talking about the, the reunion, the high school reunion. Oh. Imagine how awkward that would be. So stupid, man. Like, we've known each other now for, what, seven, eight years, Stubbs. I still don't know what you do for work. I'd like to keep it that way. I mean, uh, like, yeah. There's more interesting about you than that. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's, there's a thing in the succession for the CFU. If you, if you think your job's important, basically it means you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown, basically. I, I think that's really, really, like, quite a true comment to make. Well, even like a few weeks ago, it's like me and Sean, me and Sean worked for the same company, and I actually forgot that Sean worked for the same company as me, which obviously proves how little we talk about work to each other. <laughs> That's what I like about this group. We don't give a fuck about that stupid shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's nonsense. It's yeah. when um, say they'll say to me, like, oh, have you asked Dubs how Les is doing? I'm like, no. Nah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, imagine that happening. Imagine that question being asked. I know. I'll be like, Absolutely. are you right? Did you notice the unicorn number? Taylor's probably got her number as well. Recently, you ask. It's just too lazy. You're the go-between. Aye. But you'll also get things like partners can be quite bad for her. Go text your mum and ask them this. You fucking text her. Leslie contacts my mum more than what I do. It's just a hassle. I'm not doing it's the other thing that you think, Kel, is like Dubs tells Leslie to get in touch with people on his behalf. <laughs> well, like, I don't know if they'll, if if Sarah will listen to this one, Les probably will not listen to this one either, but there was Dubs, remember the, the morning where Les was picking up cupcakes for Sarah? <laughs> yeah. Sarah's asking me to text you to ask Les where she is. It was like, why is there four people to find out where somebody is? Like, just message I, her directly. I was, I was involved in it when it was absolutely nothing to do with me. Like, <laughs> oh, honestly, I was furious. I was actually screaming that day. Like, <laughs> that was that asking you tears to watch the football, Dubs, and you're telling me about it? You were, you were going in a oh, fight I, rant about it? <laughs> well, that, nothing new there, but I, I, was, I was raging. I was fuming. What bugged me about it the most is I don't like when people... Like Leslie had said that she wanted these and then she had kind of like left Sarah hanging, but that bugged me. Like, and I don't, it's not just about her, I, I don't, I hate unreliability, you know what I mean? I like, like, structure, that's the word I'm looking for. Well, you're I fucked don't. coming in here and doing podcasts. Well, no, apart, apart from the podcast, there doesn't need to be any structure in this. <laughs> well, yeah, well, considering we've started this late and we've already started wrapping it on for a few minutes whilst we're recording, <laughs> we're, um, I might cut that part out, I might just cut the music in here. Sorry I don't speak moron as well as you, but let me try. What the hell is supposed to do, you moron? It's a moron, that's not against the law. Gun! You fucking moron! I stop like Batman. Because he is Batman, you moron. What are you, a fucking moron? You moron! Drop dead. Moron. Whoa! Up here, you Stepping morons like yourself. Be down, you moron! Hey, moron! And then uh, take it from there. But last week it was about Welsh football, and then you, then she started talking about movies. <laughs> well, welcome more. back into another episode of Morons Review Movies. We have once again our good friend Dubs joining us to talk about the f- movie Traffic that was selected by Hunter. Uh, you'll notice that Dubs has dropped into the episodes that he just suits on at the moment. Um, we have got an episode coming up next week, which he decided he was above and didn't want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure he'll be back in for the, some. There's an upcoming movie that he might be interested in. Uh, we might get him back back on. 
But this week we are going to be talking about Hunter's selection, which was Traffic. Uh, Traffic was out in 2000. Uh, a judge is appointed by the president to spearhead America's escalating war against drugs, only to discover that his teenage daughter is a crack addict. Two DEA agents, pre- pre- loops, bit the fucking words out, protecting the foreman. A jailed drug baron's wife attempts to carry on the family business. It's far too hot to be talking this much already, so I'm going to pass this over to Hunter to give us his reasons why he selected traffic and his thoughts about it. Thank you, Mr. Kyle. So, as we sort of kind of alluded to before we started recording, I'd first um, partaken in this film. Let's just say it was in it was a Sunday morning at a house party type thing, so it was kind of easing back into civilization and. And I'll and so I just remember I was kind of I was there was a kind of few kind of older folk there and it must have been at the films and it was kind of the first time that the people they were talking over it but kind of explaining sort of different aspects about the film house that was on it is one of those ones that kind of listening to them kind of talk and explain kind of made me sort of maybe understand things about films that I hadn't really noticed or uh, took an interest before so. I kind of, as one of those ones that because of that, I thought it would be good to introduce to the morons whenever it, we had the chance to pop it up, um, whenever it popped up, sorry, on the available streaming platforms that we had to take in, especially for Mr. Burns, who I, like, I'm not even going to ask him if he's seen this film before, but for those who maybe hadn't seen it to see maybe if they sort of really want to sort of know and appreciate. But the difference now being, I think, I'd obviously seen films back then, but obviously we've been watching, reviewing, critiquing films now for quite a while. So maybe that experience might not be there for most of what I had that day. But again, for me, I think this is a very good and solid film. And again, kind of what I think, I know we kind of mentioned it in the group chat the other day, but I do like the whole, the way sort of each sort of story is shot, like when you've got the dark and dingy, handheld camera screens orange and sort of again it's the global like the sky but and there's also the desert and the heat that you get from mexico and then you've got sort of catherine zeta jones life although it's she's got the husband in jail because he's part of this drug circle but it's also she's dining at the country club and she's got the big private house so when her scenes are on it's all sort of bright colorful even though there's shit going on her life is still so much better than everyone else's in this, and then you've obviously got with Michael Douglas's character, like kind of when it's just him and he's in his job, it's still these bits they're sort of well shot and well sort of well coloured. And then you've got the bits where his daughter and her life starts spiralling, and she's going to all these drug dens or whatever. And then it's the screens darken and whatever. And I do like the kind of it's one of those ones you've got all these different stories on, but they're all linked, but they never cross over properly. There's not many. I think there is the odd scene here or there's, there. Yeah, but... I was going to say that. There's the odd time where they either cross paths on like the street or... Yeah. I'm sure there's one bit when there's some people are going into Mexico and the other person's leaving. Oh, that's what you see that. Zeta Jones is leaving Mexico. I've... But obviously on completely different sides of the, the road. Yeah. I but it's, there's never like a direct interaction where the, the, the stories go full circle and meet each other, which... Again, it's quite weird because it all seems to be happening within this one small town, essentially, which, but even then, it's like it's set in Ohio, I believe, and they've just jumped in the car and dive into Mexico. I mean, that's a fate of John. 
<laughs> I didn't even know it was set in Ohio. Was that mentioned um, though? I think that I'm sure it was uh, set in, the less it was sorry tell I about confused my trivia. I think it maybe is LA, but it's filmed in Ohio. I think that's, that's what El, it is. I El, El Paso was mentioned. And that's, that's in Texas, obviously. Aye, well, I don't, I don't know what you thought about it, but the, the scenes, obviously, Benicio del Toro and stuff. I was getting like big, like Breaking Bad vibes with that. Like, yeah, that's that, Aye, I felt like, that as well. The way that they filmed it and the filter almost that they used, like I, I really felt like any no country as well. Yeah. I, I, I really, really, I don't know if that had anything to do with the way that obviously they did Breaking Bad and stuff like that, but it was really. Straight away, in fact, Les was watching the first couple of scenes with me. She said that straight away as well. Um, it was pretty and cool. The different colours as well. They obviously use a blue tint as well quite often for some of the yeah. scenes. Um, Michael Douglas' scenes particularly, they, they were really, really blue. Which uh-huh. I don't know what you thought about that. Well, the part that I, I, I found it really um, off. Oh, sorry, Sean. Oh, sorry, Carl. I was just saying I, I found the blue tint really off-putting. But uh, on you go. I was just going to say they, I did my you jumped out of YouTube, did a little bit of research, and uh, the 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 part that I said that the blue was to represent like the coldness of Washington and the environment that he's in and how it's so cutthroat and cold and horrible. But also his his relationship with his wife to an extent, but particularly his daughter as well, is pretty cold in the beginning. Yes. And whether mm-hmm. they're alluding to that being the reason that she goes down the path that she goes down. I don't know, it's an interesting point. But it's, it's so blue, you know what I mean? I kind of thought as well with the fact that his daughter gets into the drugs. Like, it's almost like, I don't know, the meth side of it. That's what I was going to ask, like, the drugs that she's doing. What what actually was that? What would you call that? Yeah, crack cocaine. So I think what they did, they did that scene where she first tries it, I think what they're doing essentially is taking powdered cocaine and you wash it back to crack cocaine. He does uh, The wee guy was in that 70s show. Aye. She's coming in Towie at the start. Like, that, that's what he calls it. Aye. Uh, aye. It's just, I don't know, is that is that that's not an American thing more than here, is it? I'm yeah, sure. definitely, uh, definitely mm-hmm. American. Thing. Not that any of us in here know what these drugs are, how they work, or what happens with them, if you were to ever partake in that activity, just to put that out there, guys. Well, oh, just, I've just watched a, lot, a lot of TV shows in America that are based around drugs, by <laughs> Yeah, a couple of you seem to know how things work very quickly there. <laughs> <laughs> Just hours of research. Uh, I think it's mentioned in the uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, the 50 Cent film, I guess I've seen it. <laughs> well learned from Breaking Bad. Yeah. But it is a good point, like, it does, it's got that Mexican drug feel that's probably been copied quite a bit since, like, mm. the, the orange. Oh, even the El Paso stuff as well, I mean, that is, that's Breaking Bad as well. That's kind of where like the DEA kind of set up shop to try and take on the cartel. So that was what was making me think that it was quite close to the border. Um, I don't know where Ohio is, of course. But Ohio's like Midwest, like up near Chicago. But I think I've got misread mis- from uh, trivia. I think it was filmed up there because the downtown neighbourhoods were a lot more dingier up there than what they were. Yeah. So it'd be more realistic for the... Uh, I mean, Ohio, that's the sort of places we get like, with, with the goes and does documentaries because everyone's addicted to opioids and that. That's sort of all that. Yeah, basically done a documentary about every type of drug and, like, the place that is most, like, common. Yeah. And he's, like, talked about it. Aye. This is very much leading into the... It's good because... Have you ever seen a documentary called The House I Live In? 
it's very much up your street, Dubs. It's the guy that made The Wire that made this documentary. Um, this, there's big Wire vibes in this movie as well. Yes. I, I don't know how many of have watched a lot of The Wire, but the stuff like the surveillance uh, Don Cheadle is doing, um, not so much the Mexican element. This sort of, it was just after, the Wire was at 90, it must have been here really about the same time, 99, 2000, was it? Not sure, man. I can't even remember when the wire started or when, it, when they started filming it. But the, the stuff like, for the wire. No, no, so much the, no, even so much the surveillance, but the the kind of lengths that they go to, to what's the word? The, the kind of surveillance that, that, that like, see the bit we don't see the way at the end where he gets in, he picks a fight with a drug dealer guy that gets off. He picks mm-hmm. a fight in his house just so he can slip a bug under his table. That sort of stuff is rife in the wire. The lengths that they go in. And mm-hmm. obviously the guy, you know, the, the mole guy that they get at the end that ultimately gets murdered. Um, obviously he's saying, like, uh, Don Gino, oh, this is futile. All this stuff that you're doing is completely pointless. A lot of that is in the, goes through the wire as well. The fact that it's all part of a bigger thing, but ultimately mm-hmm. it doesn't ever get anywhere. And they always get off where the, the criminals because they can afford the best legal uh, help and stuff like that. So uh, that kind of vibe was right through, I thought, like, I'm going to maybe be a bit... I feel like I'm going to be the one that's the outlier here, right? But I, I really did not enjoy this film. Like, there was, bits, there was bits that I appreciated about it, but I just felt like there was no real cohesive story or any characters for me to like, or... I don't I think it would be a good TV series. Like, to me, I think if they'd done, like... Well, it wasn't, it, though. wasn't it a TV series? It was, it was based... It was it my coming out. It's a British TV series from the late 80s. This is actually based on... That makes sense because I didn't know that until you just told me. So when I watched it, I just thought, oh, this feels like they've taken two seasons of what could be a good TV show inside mm-hmm. to smash it into a film. And it's a lot. It's a lot to cram into a movie. Like mm-hmm. I mean, it's two and a half hours, which nowadays is pretty average. But it's a lot to cram in. And I know what you were saying about the lack of story and stuff like that. There's really not that much dialogue either. I don't feel like. Oh. You think we watched like two romance, right? The dialogue in that is just. It's a wash with like lines that you've got to remember and stuff like that. This film, I, I didn't think it had much of that at all. Like the laugh out loud moments are more visual and they're few and far between, but it's more visual, no about what they say or anything like that. Aye, like a lot of it really bored me. And I think it's it bored me because I think they were just trying to give you the bare minimum of each story so you could sort of understand what was going on. Um, I thought Benicio del Toro was just cool as fuck as he always is, though. Like I enjoyed seeing him on screen. Uh, they're just about, he's brilliant, eh? Like, there's just something about his face that's he's just cool, he's strange looking, he's ugly and handsome at the same time. And he's yeah. like, what I put in my notes, like, he's all he's so like it's like he's uncomfortable in his own skin. Do you know what I mean? Uh, the way he just improves and stuff like that. The scene where obviously he propositions the, the hitman in the bar, yeah, like, obviously, just the way he approaches the bar and stuff like that. Like, he's fucking it's like acting with an acting, got it down to a T. And just everything he does and just the way that he puts the cigarette packet mm-hmm. on the bar and stuff like that with the condom facing the other way and uh, it's just tremendous in this movie. That's uh, what he did of that one scene to practice. Say it again? So that's what Dubs took the notes of, that one scene to <laughs> rehearse that one. I could imagine Dubs being a guy that wears his cigarettes and his tight t-shirt. Like, <laughs> I, do, I do like to go about like, like that and then again just like with my sleeves rolled up a wee bit. I don't know because I'm not going to show off or anything. But, <laughs> a bit too big bits of spaghetti hanging at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. 
much. I can't even have my arms out because I'm too hairy. I'm like a fucking ape. So like my, my upper arms are... I'll, in fact, I'll show you. You've got to be shocked by son. <laughs> this is good for a podcast, eh? Let me show you, man. Let you show me myself. <laughs> I can imagine. Just take your tap off. Just uh, understand what's going on. But most smokes arm hair gets thinner as it goes up, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Michael. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's like downy hair. That's what they call that. Aye, uh, you are a throwback. You're like the missing link almost. Like, mm-hmm. that People ends have less hair and I'm sort of devolved. Like, yeah. Meanwhile, you put up that picture of yourself like when you were like 15 you had more, you've got more chest hair then than what I've got now uh, f- full on chest hair already but yeah I fall into that same category as Daniel hairy upper arms look like big fucking curly pubes all over the place <laughs> uh, keeping on track with movie wise let's bring Sean in Sean's an avid Breaking Bad fan so this might be up his street can you take your top off Daniel you see your chest hair <laughs> <laughs> we, we are going for this that is unbelievable. <laughs> See, it looks it looks more normal than his arms. His arms yeah. are what's really really ah, strange. But it's still, I've never it's seen hair like that on a human before. It's incredible. <laughs> oh, is, is, is this his yeah. arse? Oh my <laughs> god! god. That's not that bad, fuck, man. I don't know. Sean, describe what you're saying to the people that are listening. Uh, see, like, oh, that the wee boy uh, for Jumanji. <laughs> but he turns into a monkey. Aye, that's what it's, that's what it's reminding me of. Your the drain in your bath must just just need unclogged like every fucking time you go for a walk. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that thing where you take the clog hole out and you have all the hair. Oh my god, man! Fucking hell, man! That's a full time job in itself. That I used to get rid of it all. Like, I've had my back waxed a couple of times. My God, man, like, you make the appointment, you phone up, and they think, like, a normal human being's coming in, right? <laughs> and it's like, Betty, cancel my four o'clock. Like, they're just fucking uh, getting there for days, man. But, yeah. Does it, just, yeah. does it just grow back the next day? Aye. It's a waste of time. I've got it's a daily match. It's come on. I'm kind of with Daniel on this. I, I struggled with this just because, obviously, there's, there was just felt like there was so much happening. And I was kind of waiting for everything to come together. The kind of more it went into the film. And it, it didn't really... I wasn't a fan of the, the kind of dark blue tint. Even the kind of... Like the very, very yellowy orange tint for the for the cartel scenes. I found that a bit more bearable, but I, I still wasn't a fan of it at all. Uh, it, I thought it did actually do like a good job in terms of... like It, it wasn't really kind of glamorised. Like, a lot of these kind of drug films that glamorises like drugs and like if you're a drug dealer you're a fucking mega rich person and you've got a fancy car a fancy house all that kind of stuff it kind of stayed away from all that which I thought was quite good because that kind of stuff's been done to death as well uh, and this was the first time that I'd seen it I actually was kind of expecting a bit more for it if I'm completely honest but again that's just my preference I'm very, very easily lost in films like this where there is so much happening. Uh, and again, that's probably a, a detriment to me. That's just, just my fault. I'm pretty sure that maybe Hunter Burns and Dubs would have enjoyed this, but this wasn't really my, my cup of tea at all. I, I, I get it, though. Like, I don't know, it was very disjointed. I was going to be harsher on it when I first came on, like, but my thoughts were it was like a fucking 
a dog shit bin on fire. Like it just felt fucking everywhere. And oh. it was just scattergun approach to let's get all this cool shit on camera. And then someday at the end, he's got to try and put it all together. And it didn't feel like there was any cohesion really between it. And like, even when the, I didn't care about the daughter possibly having an overdose or whatever was happening to her. I didn't care when Brice Del Toro's partner was getting shot in the back of the heat. Like, mm-hmm. these should be big moments where you're sort of gasping. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did think was, obviously, Dubs chose to do this one and chose not to do next week's. And I think that was a bad choice, personally. Um, I certainly enjoyed next week's a lot more than this week's. Um, <laughs> it was really the cast of this one. Um, subject matter happened as well. I thought maybe it, it could be interesting. That was really the only story kind of way I wanted to step in. Don't worry, don't worry. I was just uh, basically echoing Sean and Daniel. I found that the parts that I really liked about this was how it was shot, um, because I can appreciate that they made it really clear it was three different storylines within the same universe. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they did the crossover, I thought, made a lot of sense for it. But that's pretty much where it lands. Like, I, I, wa- I was watching it, and it's the, again, it's because, and um, Burns made the point in the group chat recently, because this was subtitled and you had to pay attention to the actual film i gave this like my full attention expecting to enjoy it and i had this memory that i've watched this it's me having a memory it's a fucking shock on its own <laughs> but having a memory that i actually enjoyed this before but then i watched it and i'm like i don't remember this at all sean i was just going to say it's obviously really with so much going on it's Basically, just a story from the top to bottom of how drugs can affect different people in different walks of lives. And obviously, you've got the boy who's in politics, like Michael Douglas's character is in, who's in politics and all that. Does he know his daughter's doing heroin or whatever kind of drug it is in the background? And she's obviously almost died. So, like, it is a good concept, but I just, I just felt like there was just so much going on that my wee pea brain was just fucking like a <laughs> monkey playing the tambourine inside it, just not able to process what was actually happening. I didn't watch The Wire, because basically that's, uh, that is exactly what The Wire is, but it's just like like maybe five series of that, like the drug trade and how it affects every single facet like, of society. It goes to like even the schools and the like, government and stuff like that. So uh, it's very, very similar in tone to that. The one thing I did, that's what I raised my hand for, though, I did want to ask about. So it was mentioned about the subtitled element of it previously, before, uh, before I watched it anyway. So did you actually have to turn the subtitles on for the bits that were in Spanish all the way through the film? Uh, right? I yeah. did. Right. What the hell I, did they do? I, the so I think that's just a weird Netflix thing. That So I'm sure the cinema would have had the subtitles for just the Spanish bits only. But right. Netflix is weird. Yeah, I have subtitles for all of it or none of it. Um, yeah, I have subtitles so I anyway. Constantly turning it back on and off. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, uh, that, that bit was a wee bit. Like, we've had that for a few films now eh? that, that's happened quite a few I can't really remember which ones but it's definitely happened because there was one where I started watching it and it started off uh, in the foreign language and I, I, I was 20 minutes in I was like I should probably understand what these folk are saying I thought it was just like throw away dialogue that you didn't really need to know until it got yeah. deeper into the film and it's still going so I had to go back and fucking rewatch it what I was going to say about the Benicio Del Toro scenes was the fact that Obviously, it started and it was just wall-to-wall Spanish. Right? Mm. And then but there was elements of it that crept in the way it started to be in English in those seats. And I was yeah. like, mm. right, and this is a film from 25 years ago or something like that. I'm like, 
what are the hell are they playing that? that that's definitely a big black mark on it for me like even when they were jumping between the scenes i think that the like as much as i liked the concept of what they were doing see the actual harshness of the, the contrast and the change in the colors it took me away from paying attention to the film being like fuck me that's bright or fuck me that's dark it's too much orange like i was noticing it more and more and it's the run it's the, you do get the the hollywood joke that if it's ever in mexico you want to make a mexican film you just turn it orange make make it orange and that's a mexican movie and I couldn't stop thinking about that throughout this film. And I do think because it was quite long and drawn out and boring that I probably missed loads of parts that happened in this film, even though I was literally sitting full on watching it. Because it was like two hours into the film and I looked and I was like, oh, fuck, there's half an hour left. I'm just going to go to my bed because I kind of be arsed watching the last half hour. I'll go back to it later on. <laughs> Watch the, 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 the other half an hour the following day. And I don't think it made me... I, I didn't even remember much of what happened in the two hours that I had watched. I mean, I don't know how you can't just watch a full film, but... <laughs> uh, see, I, I can happily stop a film midway through, halfway through an action scene, pause, come back to that tomorrow. Oh, no, no, man, I would say that that device, obviously, with the, the different colours, like, filters or whatever, that was a device that they had put in to try and tell you, like, by the way, this is a different, like, part yeah. of the story, which, I mean, obviously, that can be unsettling, but... You'll know yourself, Kyle, you've done a wee bit of research. That's pretty much why they did that. It would have been even more confusing if the, the Michael Douglas bits were at the LOT, like when he's sitting in an office. Yeah, there was there was parts that they talked about in the research about the cameras that they used. So, like, for certain actors, they, mo- they had a stationary camera. For other actors, they had a camera that moved with them mm-hmm. so that you felt their movements and their motions, and they made it more grainy as it went on. And I just thought, you spent so much time working on how you want this camera look and the aesthetics of it, that you've actually missed out the plot. It's almost really unstable, wasn't it? But Kyle, what you're saying, that's the, that's the direction that the directors took from the... That's still the screenwriter or whatever, so they've got this thing, it's the direction of this that's got to be applauded for that then, whereas the, what we're saying, we're picking holes in the screenwriting, it's nothing on yeah. the director, essentially. Aye, that's a good point. Like, like uh, Dubs made a good point. The dial, there was very little meaningful dialogue throughout the whole thing. I just felt like everything was just the first thing you could think about for two cops that are talking about drugs to sit and chat to each other and have a bit of banter. Like, it was, I don't know, and it just felt too much it, like... It was just story and plot. That was really all they had and, like, cool light filters. That was pretty much it. The, what, the dialogue was just non-existent, really. I wonder yeah, what... For some reason... You've got a cop cutting about in a 1984 France top in Mexico for some reason, too. <laughs> That's why I die. <laughs> well, again, that, that the wire kind of elements, that was, it's like plain clothes. It was the same with Don Cheadle. And I can't remember the other guy's name. Like, they, they always wear, like, they don't wear, like, cop uniforms because a lot of the time they're on, like, surveillance or they're undercover mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that's why they always kind of wear, like, civvies. But aye, the France top, that, that did kind of, that was a bit, that was a cool detail, I thought, actually. Yeah, like little, little things that bothered me, like if they put a bit more effort in it, maybe just having two stories going. Because so when they're doing the first Don Cheadle and the is it somebody Guzman that actor's name? Um, the first, their very first surveillance, and then the local cops come and stu- and fuck it all up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. no background to make you think that could be a thing, or there was no con. <laughs> what you need to have a previous conflict between the the DEA and the local cops for the you yeah. care. 
and it was just a bit explained after that point like that's what i found it's like it just seemed to sometimes we've watched films and i've said that if you go right into a scene it gets you hooked straight away instead of it being like a slow build-up but i i think i'm sort of on similar to quite a few of you in terms of how i enjoyed parts of it but it was just a bit of a struggle at stages. It's just there was too much going on for me. Um, like I would, I'd written down what you said, Daniel, about how three stories just felt a bit too much overkill. It was just sort of trying to fit everything in. And then at stages as well, I found that I was like pausing it, just trying to remember what actual part are we on and and who, what are they doing and what's going to be, trying to think what the outcome could be and what would be next because it was just... and. Although I thought the acting that was good, like I couldn't tell you a lot, I couldn't tell you a lot of the people because there was too many, there was too there was too big a cast for me to really get in depth of any of any of the parts as well, um, and I it was it kept me intrigued and interested to see how it was all going to play out. Um, the other thing I was like I was thinking was is that the ending where like they put the listening bug into the under the table was that to was that just to show do you think to just show that the it's not over in terms of they're still going to try and catch some yeah absolutely or, or i was going to say was the thing that maybe they were going to lead into like a sequel or do you think that was never the plan i don't, I don't know no, i just think obviously that his partner had been had been killed uh-huh. and i think obviously don Cheadle was just trying to get his own back on this guy yeah. I mean, ultimately, like it had been mentioned previously, it's probably going to be futile. It's not going to lead to fuck all. But it was just kind of showing Don Cheadle's like, dedication to the cause and stuff. And like I, like I say, I don't really think it probably would have led to anything. But there's, there's nobody coming up for a second movie just based on that one listening right. device. And also, too, I guess it shows that how, because it goes in like unarmed and he's, just, he's obviously just that pissed off at his his colleagues died and he's not even fussed that he could go and get his head kicked in, could get shot, could anything could happen obviously him walking in on his own. I know he's a cop and whatever, but it just also shows how much uh how hurt how, how much that's hurt him. Um it was hard, it was a ham fisted approach, but obviously I think he's kinda of just at the end he's tethered a wee bit. And he's mm-hmm. gonna just do, do it. Yeah. Well, obviously to the boy that was um the guy, I don't, I don't know the guy or the actor's name, but similar to the guy in Mexico as well, I guess, when he's just like, although he's obviously given the information to try and catch some, he's obviously decided at that point, right, I know I know, I could get, I know things could happen to me, but I can't live with myself, I can't do this any longer. Um, I think you're spot on with the dialogue. It's like, I think I need a film which has got dialogue in it instead of just very little to try and, even just explain parts of it to me a bit more as well, because that's what I'm saying about having to pause it sometimes to try and like remember what was going on and what stages each was at. And although I did like, I, I thought the bit about the um, the daughter having the drug problem, I thought that was well done in terms of the film, but I could have probably like not had that in the film to try and give a bit more time to the other two parts because it didn't really link it to places for me. I think what they were, I think what they were aiming at. I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but it was almost like it was a a commentary on this sort of war on drugs, which obviously uh-huh. Michael Douglas is trying to spearhead whilst yeah. neglecting his own daughter, mm-hmm. and obviously she's getting in like really deep with that side of it. 
and I thought a couple of times they made sort of references. There was a there was a point where Michael Douglas went to like a meet and greet with like the kind of greater good when he had just been given the job with the, the kind of drugs are. Yeah. And obviously they were like they were all throwing ideas at him left, right and centre and then the next thing he's like, I get me a scotch and soda. And they were kind of making out as if that was his drug. Then when him and his wife yeah. have a fallout, obviously she kind of has a go on the amount that he drinks to take. Like she says you have three drinks a night and it's like that's one. Like, I think he's so really has, has it even for it comes in here. Really making a point about that, that obviously that was his drug of choice. Yeah, he's meant uh-huh. to be this guy that's taking on the drug trades and stuff. And that, that's exactly what I was just, I was about to put my hand up to say that because they make it very clear that that is a drug as well. It's just a drug that you didn't have to jump through hoops to get. And mm-hmm. to your point about the, them doing a good job with the daughter and the contrast and Michael Douglas sort of being a closet alcoholic and all that, I think although Benicio Del Toro is the best thing about this, if you ditch the whole Mexico bit and you have the contrast between him and try to fight the war on drugs and his daughter taking drugs and you spend mm-hmm. more time developing that, I think it would be better because you see, you, didn't, you don't really see the daughter spiral. The very first scene you see her in, she's taking yeah. drugs. Yeah. So I think for that to work, you need to go on the journey and see her get to where she is. But the very first fucking scene, she's, they're all taking all sorts of drugs. And Aye. you can oh, tell that this has been written by a rich white guy. Because, like, where, where do you go and get drugs? And she's in some dodgy fucking room where you've got to go and look through a wee hole. It's all nonsense. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. they'll have a guy, rich white folk have got a guy that comes and drops it off to you, they bother. They're not going down to the fucking ghetto to walk up these wee doors and put with guns on that. That's never happening. Like, nonsense. Uh-huh. It was a bit much, wasn't it? Yeah, that bit was. Like, also, the fact can get the drugs, definitely. Like, Michael Douglas's wife also, you're saying, Daniel, like that for that spiral, that she knows that her daughter's been on the gear for six months prior to this film. Yeah. The point that we jump into the day. So, there's definitely, as you're saying, you spend more kind of what I agree with what you're saying with too much calm down, but spend more time develop, focus on any two of the three storylines yeah. in this. Because also, what we like would have been a good avenue as well is the whole what was happening with Catherine Zeta's husband before. We jumped into the story in this film. That's also, a, 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 I'd imagine, would be a decent enough story within itself, too. Right. All you do is you find out later on when he put the lawyer, um, who's Dennis Quaid as well, he's got a big cast. This he's yeah. barely got a part uh, in it. The uh, boy for Scarface as well, or man. Sorry again. That, the boy for Scarface was our uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones' man. Um, but the guy, the lawyer comes and puts the music on and whispers to her, and he's basically like. Your husband's been smuggling drugs, and that's as much as you get about it. But you mm-hmm. get no other detail about it whatsoever, um, yeah. apart from the wee guy that's sort of grassing them in. And you don't get any detail for him really either. It was kind of like that hiding in plain sight element to it, though, with uh, Stephen Bayer and whatever you pronounce it, and Catherine Zeta Jones. She was saying, obviously, she's got like all these fundraisers that she's involved in right, and charities and stuff like that, all the while, like they're living like in like, total like, sin. The way that he's earning his money and stuff like that. But the one thing I did think about like the lawyer and stuff like that was it was a wee bit like cringy when he was kind of trying to like come on to Catherine Zeta Jones a wee bit. I don't know if yeah. he's got that vibe. Uh-huh, he kind yeah. of just like, like she was sitting on the couch and then he kind of just come over and sat next to her. But they never really implied that anything happened like uh-huh. that strongly. But then the next thing when Stephen Boyer's like out of jail, he's like, I was just going to move into my house and all that. <laughs> Take over my life, basically. <laughs> 
Aye, and there was no, there wasn't enough to justify that. At no, all. Wasn't it? no, it came across quite sleazy and stuff, but I didn't really. That was kind of shoehorned in a wee bit. I felt. Yeah, it's just okay. another example of trying to stuff stuff up everything in the film, though. Like as much as possible, just try to cram it in. I thought. Aye, no, definitely. Do we think this is when Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta Jones started shagging? No, they were already engaged. She's actually oh. pregnant with his Wayne during filming too. Really? Aye. Uh, I was going to make that point. I thought that it was all going to lead up to them either meeting each other or being like in a part of the story at the end or something like that. And it turned out like they were absolutely they were probably the only two characters that did they like kind of slightly yeah. cross paths or whatever. Which but they were already together then. Uh, yeah, I didn't see like talking about things getting shoe home down, like her arc from being cut to come wife to fucking run in a fucking drug <laughs> fucking organisation like in the space of an hour and a half days. Yeah. Aye, I think it's, too much. it's just weak. It's quite a weak movie, I think. Eh? Like, I can see what they're trying to do, but I, I'm astonished they've got the cast they've got to come on board with this, because I can imagine sitting reading the script if you're an actor going, what, what is there in this? But it, is very, it stinks in the year 2000. And like the late nineties, that transition between the nineties mm-hmm. and the noughties, like it was very much one of those types of films. And it's a lot of style over substance, and it doesn't really have any substance. We've seen that quite a few times with some films on this on the podcast over the years. Um, but I didn't even feel like I had that much style about it either. It was I don't know. I def- I sat there for the whole time not enjoying myself even one bit. Like I'm gonna probably score this pretty low. This will be the worst of the series so far for me. Ooh. Having a coughing fit there as I was waiting to go and talk. Um, yeah, no, I don't think it's been a particularly successful choice this time, Hunter. We've had a chat previously about your choices and we'll just add this to the list. <laughs> I feel like it's just a vendetta. You just want me out. That's it. You've got my replacement lined up already. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's been auditioning for a few weeks to replace you. <laughs> Can you imagine getting dubs to tie and do some trivia? Here's another task for you, no chance. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the time I step on the trivia, though. Like, I, I don't know, I've just got that kind of like, I, I, I'm interested in the stuff that's really not that exciting. Don't worry, we're, uh, we're shocked week on week that Hunter actually comes with some. I do have some this week. I, I'm Make still playing the Alliance, you're my favourite Hunter still, don't worry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I thought John was going to let you give you a moment to shine. What trivia do you have? I know. I'm just. I've got to work out now which ones have actually been mentioned during the fucking story. Well, whilst you work that out, I'll just say that um, the Catherine Zeta Jones and Michael Douglas met in 1998. They were introduced by a mutual friend, Antonio Banderas. Wow. That's definitely. They've been high fiving as they met. As they were introduced, like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard the thing about Michael Douglas um, saying that he got cancer from eating pussy? Aye. Uh, he said that's why he got throat cancer for going down on too many women. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was like happily married, supposedly. <laughs> she wasn't happy about that. There was some sort of comeback because I saw her. I think she came out and was like fuming about it. I mean, At least that was the comeback. Let's be honest. Are they still together, they two? 
Yeah, absolutely. No. Well, he's like, it's 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 We're calling it a lot of cops, but the age gap here was a lot more respectable than what fucking De Niro and Pacino have been up to recently, so. Yeah. Uh, I was saying it's an extreme, but at the time, they did get a lot of Uh, for for the age gap with them, and it was just, like, non-stop. They were getting, like, hounded by the press. I'm sure there was an element where they they invited it, but I'm sure I remember at the time it was, like, way... Ah, there was, uh... Ah, it was definitely big news. I I minded when I was younger that those two getting together, they were, like, the big Hollywood couple that everyone was Uh, talking about. Because she was British as well, or was there was that element? Yeah. Twenty five year age gap. Which, oh. see, you look at that now, it's like a small beer in it. I know. DiCaprio's doing that with a different flu every week, essentially. <laughs> Floozy. <laughs> Something will say that uh, DiCaprio went to a twenty eight year old recently. Aye, that was yeah. me. Aye, but he's still twenty five year old or a twenty eight year old. That's the difference. <laughs> Aye, but he's closing the gap. <laughs> Have you so seen the thing with Ricky Gervais? Yeah, absolutely not. The thing with Ricky Gervais taking the fish out of DiCaprio and it's like young women that he's in with all the time. Is that, and DiCaprio's actually in the room when he's doing it as well. Is that the, the Golden Globes, I think? Um, uh, I, I can't the time in Hollywood. He says by the time the film was finished, his date was too old for him. Ah, he's dating with the old enough to get into theatre or something like that. Uh, which is funny, man. We always end up in this topic. It doesn't matter what film it is, there's some sort of weird devious topic. I think Sean makes this point all the time. Hollywood is just full of these devious fucking bastards. Oh, 100%. Man. But that's what it is. It's kind of we'll talking about the drugs element and that. Once you've done all that, the weird drugs and stuff like that, where do you go next? It's, it's weird sex. That's where you've got to go next. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe we should, uh, remember we, we did death pool before, we should start a nonce pool. Like who's going to be the next Hollywood <laughs> superstar? To be well, I, said about, I said about Conor McGregor the day. That's an absolute, that's, I shouldn't even be allowed to pick him. Daniel, that's, uh, that's one for you to take to Instagram. Uh, oh. Let's do it. Let's do a nonce pool. Conor McGregor couch, he's going to be in the next Roadhouse movie. So he, he's technically classed as an actor now. Oh, so I think you would class a nonce. <laughs> you would probably defend Conor McGregor a lot though, but we heard for good sources that you don't do it as much anymore. What? You talking to me? <laughs> practicing his Conor McGregor chat there, you I, don't. <laughs> I, I defend him. Um, what? Apart from you defend Conor McGregor quite a lot. Aye, not anymore. But you're definitely a McGregor apologist. Oh no, like, I, I like that. I'll, I liked him as a fighter when he was fighting, and I liked the theatrics that came with that. But when you're punching old men, I mean, there's a line. I've <laughs> never defended anything he's done outside that's illegal. There's a line which is probably snotty, to be honest. <laughs> that's yeah. going to be the name of the podcast right there. When you're punching old men, there's a line. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> that. awesome. Thanks for that, Craig. That's all right. That's okay. All right. Uh, before we move on to the non-pool and the de- we used to have the death pool, right? It's just made me a funny story about that. So, for anyone listening, we did all once put a bet in. We all put a ten in, eh? And we all picked two I people. Yeah. Everyone knows what the death pool is. Uh, but 
we got to the point that we just spent all the money. Remember, we just got a big giant Indian takeaway where um, <laughs> it, was it, was starters. it was all starters. It was didn't have a mean course between us. <laughs> the worst thing about that was so it was the ten of us that were in the original fantasy football plus Mammy Andy and somebody else did it as well. So there was twelve folk in it, and he picked Bernard Sawyer, who actually did die within the year. And he came to me. Ah, he was like, where's my money? I was like, ah, fuck, we all just spent it on fucking Indian food. Lighting the Gildarf's tell, that's where it is. It was, uh, when, we were, when we were picking people, I think that most of the people that we picked ended up all going into the rehab and turning their life around like within a week. Because I, uh, I picked Pete Doherty, and then uh, it was like headlining Burns' t- tabloid, the Daily Mail, the following day that he checked into rehab and was fixing his life. <laughs> David will pick Kerry Katona, I think, as well. <laughs> I think that was he's, he's, he's got an OnlyFans now, hasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> How much is it, though? Something like, hasn't she? Is it? <laughs> I tagged Alien on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I think we should move on to some trivia. Yes, yes, quickly, yes. Right, so firstly, um, so this will be touching on uh, the comment that Daniel made earlier about rich white boys writing a screenplay. So when a critic commented that it seemed unrealistic that the daughter's high school record was almost perfect when she was taking drugs, screenwriter Stephen Gagan pointed out that a high school, that his high school record uh, in the movie was his and that he had been abusing drugs at the time. Aye, that, that's utter nonsense, that yeah. uh, opinion, whoever put that forward. There's functioning alcoholics, like, exactly. every day, everywhere you go, so. Uh, In fact, if you're going to have a habitual drug, at that at age where you can get up and function the next day, like, it's probably the prime age to be doing it. The person making that comment is probably coming for the view of, it's a bad example to give, because it's telling young kids, well, you can still get a 3.7 grade average or whatever. And yeah. at the same yeah. time. <laughs> like, so you know what Americans are like? They like to blame either films or fucking computer games or everything else on their cultural problems. Yes. Just, like, it's always Again, something. that's kind of what I was saying. Like the one thing I did think that was good about this movie was that it was it was actually making a mockery of the war on drugs, I felt like. Yeah. Which I, I think was I was right behind that. You know what I mean? And I think if they'd gone harder in on that, I would have really enjoyed this because it, it's spot on. Yeah. The one dogs are an absolute fucking nonsense, like an absolute yeah. nonsense. And the good point, the best bit about the film was the bit before the informant guy dies with the fucking scrambled eggs or whatever, with poisoned eggs. Yeah. And, and he makes that point. He's like, "Look, you got you got your information for a different cartel to try and put this cartel into business. All you're doing yeah. is working for a different drug dealer than me." And yeah. that's exactly what it is. You're never ever going to stop it. You're going to so you take out the head linchpin of the drug trade in Mexico, yeah. and you've taken out them all. All it does is mean more people can make more money. You take him out, and the who was the second or third in power, they didn't just rise up at that point. Yeah. yeah. That was another thing that they talked about in Breaking Bad a lot, and, and The Wire as well. It's always going to be a feed. They're always going to look for a high somewhere. You know what I mean? Because drugs are illegal, so it makes it harder for them to get them. It, the thing is, well, they could have done more with it. Like, obviously, you like the wire. I mentioned that uh, documentary, The House I Live In, that's made by the guy that made the wire. So you should definitely watch it, Dubs. You'd like it. And that's right. one of the things they talk about. 
They change the focus of the modern drugs all the time to basically combat the poorest people in society, right? So they've got the one to 10 sentencing ratio, right? So normal cocaine, which rich white folk is their drug of choice, gets you, say, what, say you get 10 years for that, right? If you get caught with the same amount of crack cocaine, it's 100 years, it's 10 times the sentence. But yeah. the only difference is that poor people in the ghettos tend to yeah. smoke crack yeah. cocaine. Gravitate and, towards that drug. And they gravitate so, towards it. It goes back to kind of what we were talking about with the tax drugs and the non-tax drugs. Yeah. Like, obviously, it's extreme, but alcohol is a completely accepted uh, drug. And it, it used to be like war as a sponsor on like shops and like racing cars and stuff like that. Whereas there's no benefit to it whatsoever. Like, zero no. benefit to alcohol. And that's exactly it, because you can make money from it. And right. the white folk mm -hmm. like to have a wee glass of wine at night, but rich white folk don't like to smoke fucking crack. Yeah. And then they uh, moved on later, where they can be mentioned Breaking Bad. Later on, the drug of choice was meth that they wanted to crack down on because it was poor people that smoked meth. Mm -hmm. You didn't get any fucking rich folk in Hollywood smoking meth. So, I mean, they just sort yeah. of focus on the lower, the lower people in society and then the acceptable <laughs> drugs are just what they are. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone knows that cocaine's fucking life everywhere amongst white culture all over the world. Right? In every industry. Aye. Every, like, we, you see it now, like, especially in Scotland, that if you go on a night out, like say an office party or whatever, half the folk there are in that toilet fucking taking drugs, <laughs> including the bosses. I almost just said something I really shouldn't have about a fucking well-known Scottish businessman there. Uh, but a well-known Scottish businessman that's been in loads of papers talking about loads of stuff. I, I witnessed him come out the toilet with cocaine still under his nose and a guy going, here, mate, wipe it off. Uh, his name will remain. I'll tell you his name off, like, um, but I. It's just hey, that's his finish, guys. That's his <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell cut his name in here. Make sure you clip it and put it on Instagram for Daniel. That's where they, you see the next day, we do like a wee uh, video for the Instagram reels and just put his picture up randomly and one of them. <laughs> When we start a Patreon and there's like levels to it and you're paying for content, then I'll tell you who the rich businessman is that's all taking drugs that fun. But you have done the like Wolf of Wall Street, man. That's like in yeah. Wall Street, it's like they're all fucking chinged out their nut, like gambling yeah. mm -hmm. fucking life savings and all that every day. Like on bench and fucking houses of parliament, they're all fucking poked out the eyeballs, man. It's absolutely right to matter what industry you go to. Like, definitely. It's so, so strange that we we care so much about it. We should do it. You see what Portugal's done. All drugs are fully legal in Portugal. There is no war in drugs. Like, Aye. you can get help if you're addicted to drugs. They will give you help, but they're not going to put you in jail. You know what I mean? What happens here is you get caught with, if you've got an issue with drugs, it's an issue you've got, right? It's the same as an addiction with alcohol or with gambling, which is people have been talking right. about recently, all these sorts of things. So you should get help, right? But instead, you pick you in prison where you're going to just get more of it and rely on it more, and you'll come out it's and you'll know it. It's easier to get it in there, what it is yeah. outside. Sorry. The war on drugs are farce. What's next, Hunter? Uh, uh, talking of farces, no, I'm joking. Uh, Michael Douglas um, originally declined the role uh, of Robert Wakefield and it was offered to Harrison Ford who accepted it. Ford then worked with the director to improve the character but then decided not to do the movie. Douglas then liked the change in character so much that he then accepted the part. Oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. So Harrison Ford was like, this isn't well written enough, let me make these changes. And then yeah, he's like, 
On the first day of production, uh, the the director, uh, Steven Soderbergh, who had done Six Highs and Videotapes, was his first film. The producers of that movie uh, sent a telegram to Soderbergh. So, sorry, there's the first day of production of Six Highs and Videotapes in 1989 for Steven Soderbergh. The producers of that movie sent him a telegram. They teased him a uh, good-natured uh, humour telling him that they'd heard, they'd heard reports that he couldn't direct Traffic. Twelve years later, he won the Oscar for directing Traffic. So did he win an Oscar for this? Yes. Yeah, I think there was four. I think there was four Oscars Yes, for correct. One. And that was my next point. Five categories it was nominated for. The only one it didn't win was Best Picture, which it lost out to Ridley Scott's Gladiator. So what did it win? Best Director? I, I was hoping for that to go to the list and fall up that far. Okay, <laughs> Nobody was the best like, actor or supporting actor or anything like that for this, no? Oh, Benito, I think Benito will be good. I don't I don't know, yeah. Well, okay, he was good. I'll take that. But fuck me, I, I'm astonished that this was in the, the award season categories at all. Like Again, though, man, it's just a sympathy vote. Well, so they... It had, uh, obviously, nominated for Best best Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role as a winner for Del Toro, Best Director, Best Writing of a Screenplay Based on Material Previously Produced or Published. Um, sounds like when Hunter tries to explain what a true a true movie is. <laughs> that's, a, that's like a made-up Oscar. That's, that's, a, that's never been won before or after. And yeah. um, the winner for Best Film Editing. So the guy that put the blue and orange light on got an Oscar as well. Wouldn't that be cinematography, though? I don't know. It definitely is well edited, because I can imagine... The way that I can see this is that hundreds of scenes were all just filmed, and I can imagine there's, like, five hours worth of shit to be edited together for this. Yeah, that, that, that's the editing part, is the order that they put all these scenes, which, in reality, a lot of the scenes don't, don't relate to anything else that happens in the movie. So that's what the editing part is. Stephen Soderbergh was nominated for two movies that year. Any guesses on the other one? Oh, because I've just looked. <laughs> what is it? Please just say the answer, because it would be amazing if you just pulled an oh, end right, the end of the hardware. Yeah. Erin yeah. uh, Brokovich. <laughs> if Bernsey had just oh, said Erin Brokovich, I would have lost it. <laughs> That's a good movie. Fucking excellent movie. Funnily enough, see the guy, I think he's only in two scenes, maybe three, the guy that Michael Douglas is kind of speaking to that's behind a desk, um, it's not James Brolin. Um, it's kind of he's got like the actual army hero. Uh-huh. It's uh, Albert Finney, he's called. Um, he's, he's in Aaron Brockovich as well. That was the fucking point I was getting to there. So obviously that, that's... Think- there you go, Sean. Sorry, Dubs. I was just going to say, I used to think that uh, Julia Roberts' real name was Erin Brockovich for years and years and years. I just thought that's what her name was. What? <laughs> so did you think it was like a, a being John Malkovich type film where she was like playing playing herself in a movie? No, I just thought that she was. I thought her, her real name was Erin Brockovich. Wow. Oh. It's very self-indulgent of them cutting about a poster with her own name on it. <laughs> on, similar, on similar sort of lines, Leslie likes to bring this up all the time, but see, when I was wee... Um, I know what I, you're going to say here. Is, it, is that the reason why I thought this? 
that's what came in my mind. Yeah, I thought, um, you know, Jerry Adams, the guy that's like, <laughs> Sinn Féin. I thought his name was Sinn Féin. <laughs> so did I. Did you really? <laughs> Good enough. You would always hear Sinn Féin, and then his face was on the telly. Yeah. It would be on the telly and it would say Sinn Féin in big letters and then it would maybe have Jerry Adams in parentheses below it. So I always used to think that his name was Sinn Féin like, all the time. And every time he comes on the telly now, because he's still in, like, I'm sure he's still in politics in a big way. Um, and I, Leslie, that's me for it solid all the time. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was the same as you. I was in that same idiot uh, camp, like, when I was a wee boy. I thought, because you don't, because back then... <laughs> you can call it stupidity when you're, like, six. Like, <laughs> Boy. Oh, oh, well, if that brings us to the end of the trivia, I think it's a good point for us to now go and score this movie. Um, Hunter, we welcome you first, though. You picked it. Spoke highly of it. Comfortable feeling this has got to be the highest, but you know what? I'm not bothered. I can understand and take on the criticism that the movie has received as well. I'll be giving it a 3.5. 3.5 for Hunter. Let's see if the Dunter Alliance is even close this week. Daniel? Oh, I hate when I'm going against Hunter because I like when me and him are aligned. Uh, but no, I really hated this. I thought it was shit. Uh, 1.25, I'm giving it. <laughs> Dubs? I'm actually going to outscore H for this movie, believe it or not. Um, I haven't really done like my own view of this film. I've kind of just commented on everybody else's again. But I actually thought it was, for, for what it was, I enjoyed it. Like, there was no point where I thought it dragged or anything like that. The ending was a wee bit kind of, it was a wee bit cringy and it sort of could have maybe been shot in a wee touch. But I thought the acting, Benicio, uh, Don Cheadle as well, I thought they were really strong. Michael Douglas, I think he's, all, most of the things I see him in, I always think he's pretty good. Um, obviously, there wasn't a lot of dialogue, which is one of the things I looked for. Um, in a movie there wasn't really much humour but I just thought that the way that it was filmed and the stories contrary to what you say I actually found them quite interesting maybe it's just because of what I've like watched with The Wire and stuff like that that kind of subject matter I was quite invested in it um, so I, I, I've got 3.75 so I'm just going to keep with that it's still only like a 7.5 out of 10 so it's no like rave mm-hmm. reviews you know I mean it's still way Maybe near one of like one of my favourite movies or anything like that, but I I would watch it again. And I, I after I watched it, I, I felt like I enjoyed it. So three point seven five. Three point seven five from Paul. Craig. Two for me. Two for you, but I'm going to be slightly less than you, Craig. I'm going to go one point seven five. And then we will finish it off with Mr. Breaking Bad himself. A two. A two for you, Burnsy. I'm not going to stall. Have you done the maths across six people yet? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I did my score, so I'll give you what I've got at the now, and then I can rescore it. Did I even ask you? Do it again, first. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did ask me. I gave it a two. <laughs> Burnsy has one job. <laughs> I know. And I've used a calculator as well today. We've got the, the only accountant of the group who's got a calculator to do his one job that he has to do. We've added an extra number in and he's fucked. But I did do it rightly. I got it right both times. It's been so too keep... long with that Daily Mail. It's just eating away his brain cells. That's what it is. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's a 2.38. 2.38. Yeah. 
2.38, which brings the movie to be 131st on our list. Um, slightly above a Burnsy favourite in Gone Girl. That's shocking. It's above Old Boy, which I'm shocked. I didn't realise Old Boy was so far down. Yeah, it was because only me and you liked it, Kylan. Uh, did you like it, Hunter, actually? I think you might have quite... I, don't I think, you think did. I was probably in the middle, and then like, I was the first Sean and Craig. I was probably in the middle for that one. Um, and it's only narrowly behind um, Hocus Pocus, which came up in conversation recently, Daniel, with us and John. Um, yes. Reservoir Dogs, The Fugitive, Up, and Cool Hand Luke are all on a 2.4, so just slightly ahead of this. Oh, my favourite film ever. Um, so that's quite a good segue that it's like next to Hocus Pocus. So John, previous guest on the show, hello John, um, gave me a really happy moment. It actually made me really happy this week where he was watching Hocus Pocus for the first time and he recognised a line for Hocus Pocus based on our info. So folk are watching movies now and reference back to us and they're like, oh, that's for the morons. That's funny, like with fucking transcendent culture now. We, me and Leslie sat and listened to like the intro, like all the moron mentions, and she picked that one out and said that's out of Hocus Pocus because I've, I've never even seen that movie. Uh, I thought yeah, that was quite interesting. I liked that because we were talking about Tarantino last week and how he transcends pop culture, and we're getting there now. That's our first step towards it. We've got Reservoir Dogs as a 2.3. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I do, I've half, half held my hands up recently and said I have said I was overly critical of that film. I stand by it. I gave it like a three or something like that. I, I think it's good, but not great. There's a word of it's, it's definitely bottom of the Tarantino pile for me. In fact, the Hateful Eight's bottom, then there's a word of Oh, oh no. Man, I thought off a bit, man. I'm there. So I didn't really hear what you said, Daniel, but oh no, I, I love Reservoir Dogs, man. That's an insult, having that. I suppose it is. But that's what we're here for. Well, uh, maybe you have to come back in another day, Dubs, and fight us on uh, Reservoir Dogs if you want to select another seen and unseen movie. But we kind of, I mean, we disagreed with this one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's quite a big sort of gap with this one. But I, I don't know. I suppose it's just that you, you watch it. I like the fact that we don't we don't really comment on the movie previously. So even if you do look into what it's about and stuff, you've not really got any preconceived notions, which is a good thing, I think. But definitely, mm. I, I always like to do it again. And I, I've already got a couple of things in mind for what I might pick. Well, what I was going to suggest is, Kyle, you've got the list there. We must be at about 190-odd films now, um, but by my count. I'm sure we worked out that the end of this one will be the 200th. I'm sure we dubsies to it took us up to 200. Aye. So when we've done 200, what we'll do is we'll do a special episode where we can comment on the scores where it got too high or too low and maybe make adjustments. Because when we did 100 movies, we all got to either boost one up by 0.5 and take one down by 0.5. So I think that'll be quite good. That was one of our most listened to episodes as well. So we'll do a wee 200 special. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Well, so guys, it does bring us to the end of this podcast. Um, it's been a really good one, actually. It's been interesting that I feel like we've not spoke too much about the movie, but we have at the same time. Um, <laughs> good contrast in scores as well. I love it when we've got a little bit of difference between us. But thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you did enjoy us, uh, our episode this week, please have a listen to previous ones, download, share it with some friends, and give us a good review on Spotify or Apple. That would go a long way. But thank you very much, guys. 
Have a good night. And as more runs, bid you farewell. See you later. Bye bye. I do appreciate the fact that you guys wave to the camera to say bye to people. Um, I'll do that to get my motivation. I'll do it to you guys, no one else. Sorry I don't speak moron as well as you, but let me try. What the hell is supposed to do, you moron? It's a moron, that's not against the law. God, you fucking moron. I stop like Batman. Because he is Batman, you moron. What are you, a fucking moron? Huh? You moron. Drop dead. Moron. Stepping morons like yourself. Be down, you moron! Hey, moron! Bid you farewell and good luck, morons. Bye.